Our passage this morning is very brief, but very rich, and so let's pray for the Lord's help as we begin this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the book of Ephesians, even as we draw to a close. We thank you for this series and all that we've learned and looked at, and especially, Lord, the last few weeks as we've delved in more to what a godly household is supposed to look like with husbands and wives and now children and parents. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me as I seek to open your word to do so in a way that is clear, in a way that is Christ-centered, in a way that is compelling. I pray that you would be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last summer, my wife and I had the chance to uh, work with a church in northern Virginia, and one of the neat things about living in that part of the country is we could take our days off and go visit all sorts of historical sites. And one of our favorite things to do was to go and tour some of these grand homes, right? Places like Mount Vernon or Monticello where presidents lived. And one of the neat things about seeing those houses is not just the size and the scale of the place, but all of those are working homes, right? They have farms and plantations and businesses attached to it. And so you've got to walk through and see how everything was laid out and, and put together. And what we have the chance to do this morning, in a sense, is to do one of those home tours. Only what Paul takes us on is not a, a tour of a palace or a castle or a plantation home, but of what a healthy home looks like, what a Christian home looks like. And so today, as we unpack these four verses, we want to take a walk through a healthy household. And we're going to do that first by taking a view from inside, seeing how things are laid out and what Paul says to the different members of this household. And then, Lord willing, if we have time, we'll also do a view from from outside, from above, and look a bit more at what households are for. But let's begin just by Excuse me. Let's begin by um, walking into this home and, and looking at the ground floor. And the first thing that you'll notice about a Christian home, as uh, one author I read this week put it, is that it's not a ranch-style home. It's not a democracy. Everything's not on one level. There's actually two stories to this home. And on the ground floor, we have the children. Ordinarily, in a Christian home, God will bless that with children. And then there's a second floor, a top floor above that, where the parents are. Um, In our society, we like every house to be kind of an open-plan, ranch-style home where everyone has equal say on what a household looks like and how it's run, but that's not how a biblical home operates. There are those in authority, the parents, and we'll see specifically the father, and there are those under authority, in this case, the children. So let's, let's walk around each of these floors together. And kids, I hope you listen carefully to every sermon, but I want you to listen very carefully to this sermon, and especially to this part right now, because I'm going to be speaking directly to you. God is going to help you, by His grace, to know what it is that you are called to do. So I want you to listen now. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 again, and listen and hear what God is commanding you as children to do. Read these words. Children, kids... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Now there are two things that Paul told you as kids to do. Did you catch what they were? 
The first one was to obey. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then secondly, he says, honor your father and mother. Now, those are actually not two different commands. I think they're talking about the same thing. We want to talk about what those two things mean. What does it mean to obey? Well, it's interesting that that word actually talks about hearing. And sometimes that's the hardest part. Have your parents ever said, I feel like you're just not listening to me. I'm telling you things and you're not hearing. That can be a real challenge, can it? So as kids, it's, it's, it's good to be intentional about listening to your parents. But it's not just hearing what they say and taking their advice if you think it's a good idea. It's actually hearing what they say to do and then going out and doing it. That's what that word obey really means. It has to do with your actions. Are you hearing what your parents say to do and then doing it? So when they say put the Legos away, obeying means you put the Legos away. If they say, I want you home by 10 o'clock, that means being home by 10 o'clock. Whatever action it is your parents tell you to do, obeying means you hear and you do it. But sometimes uh, that can be the easy part. Because Paul adds this other word. He says we're supposed to not just obey our parents, we're supposed to honor our parents. Now, obey is probably a word your parents use with you a lot, but honor is probably not one that you hear very often. Kids, what does honor mean? What does that mean to honor someone? Well, Paul is not making up this command. He's actually drawing it from the Old Testament. You'll probably recognize those words. Honor your father and mother. That comes from the Ten Commandments, right? Paul was reminding us that this is not a new command. This is not something that just now kids have to do. All kids, all children, since the, God gave his word and the Ten Commandments have been called to obey and honor their parents. And honoring is really kind of the other side of obeying. If obeying is about your actions, what you do, honoring is about your attitude. It's how you respond to what your parents tell you to do inside have you ever had this experience, kids, where your, your mom or your dad tells you, go do something, and you go and you do it? But while you're doing it, you're, you're, you're fuming with frustration. I can remember as a kid lots of times where my parents would say, go rake the leaves or go fold laundry, whatever it was, and I would obey because I knew if I didn't, I would get in trouble, and I didn't want to get in trouble. But what I'm actually thinking while I'm folding the laundry or raking the leaves is, this is not fair. I have other things I was in the middle of and they interrupted me and told me I had to do this. And look at my little brother. He's just over there playing and I have to be sitting here folding laundry. And I'm going through this whole dialogue. Have you ever done this, kids, where you feel frustrated because it just doesn't seem fair or you don't understand why they're telling you to do that right now? Well, what's happening there is that on the outside, it looks like you're obeying. It looks like you're doing exactly what the Bible tells you to do. But if people could look inside of your head, what would they see? There may be external obedience. Your actions may be right. But your attitude, your heart, the way that you're thinking about your parents is not right. You're not honoring your father. You're not honoring your mother. And Jesus wants you to obey your parents, not just in the sense of being well-behaved, but of actually treating your parents, thinking about your parents, speaking about your parents with respect and with value and with love. That's, kids, what you are called to do. And that can be very hard to do. Because naturally, when you're born, you aren't born wanting to obey. 
Actually, all of us are born wanting everyone else to obey us. Have you ever seen a little baby who's very cute and seems so innocent, but what happens when they don't get what they want? When people aren't responding quickly enough to their needs, what do they do? They, they scream and they cry because they want people to do what they want them to do. That's how we're all born. That's part of our sinful nature. But God in His grace enables us and He uses your parents' kids to help you learn how to step away from that kind of behavior where you want everyone to obey you and learning instead to obey your parents. Now let's talk a little bit more about why you're supposed to do that. Because sometimes it's hard. It's hard to get motivated to obey your parents. And sometimes, you know, we're given commands to do something and we're not told why. And that's okay. Sometimes it's, we just need to obey. But, but God is very gracious and He tells you kids not just what to do, but why you are to do it. And there's, there's really two reasons that God gives here. Let me read those three verses again. And now I want you to listen to the why. Why are you supposed to obey your parents? Why are you supposed to honor your parents? See if you can hear this. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, there are two things there, I think, that Paul wants us to see. Why are we supposed to obey our parents? Well, the first reason is because when you obey your parents' kids, you're actually obeying God and you're doing what is right. Maybe you've heard your parents say that, that, that God has put them in authority over you. We said a Christian house has two floors and the parents are on the top floor, but that doesn't actually mean that they're the ones who are ultimately in charge. They are working under the authority of God himself. But what that means is when you disobey your mom, when you disobey your dad, you're not just disobeying them, you're disobeying God. But when you obey your parents, when they tell you to do what is right, when they tell you to do what is good, when you obey those commands, it's not just that you're being well-behaved and not getting your mom or dad mad at you. You're actually obeying God. Now, there are a lot of things that we're called to do as Christians, but for kids, I think a lot of it comes under this command. If you obey and honor your parents, especially when they are in the Lord, when they are Christian parents who, who are trying to help you grow into understanding what the gospel is and learning what it means to repent of your sins and how to have faith and how to treat others with kindness and how to, 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 to grow in all sorts of different ways. When you are obeying those commands, you're actually obeying God. Have you ever wondered what God wants you to do as a kid? Well, in many ways it boils down to this. Obey those that he's put in authority over you, your mother and your father. Because their goal, and we'll see this a little bit later, their work is to help you become more like God, to help you become more like Christ. And that may seem impossible, and kids, it is. But did you know that Jesus is actually described as being the son, the child, who perfectly obeyed his father? That's how Jesus is described. So Jesus has already done this for you. you. You can't perfectly obey. You can go home after this sermon and think, all right, I'm going to obey my mom. I'm going to honor my parents. And you might do well for a little while, but then you'll find yourself slipping and falling. So go to your parents and, and talk to them about that. Have them help you to understand 
how you can look to Jesus and, and see the obedience that He's done and make that your own. But that doesn't do away with the command that we're given to honor our parents because when we do that, you're obeying God and you're doing what is right. But there's actually another reason that's given here. This is a wonderful reason. We, we read it in verse 3. You're supposed to honor your father. You're supposed to honor your mother. You're supposed to obey your parents so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, what does that mean, kids? Well, again, this is a quotation from the Old Testament. And, and, and what is being promised here is a promise of blessing. Kids who obey their parents are blessed. They're storing up blessing for themselves. And kids that disobey their parents, that dishonor their parents, are storing up curses for themselves. Now, of course, we can maybe all think of, of exceptions to the rule here. We can think of, especially if you're an adult and you've lived a while, you can think of kids you've seen who were little terrorists growing up and who got to their teenage years and they walked away from the faith and they seem to have disobeyed everything that God has called them to do and yet they have a good job and they married a beautiful person and they have success and you may think, well, what's going on here? And maybe you watch someone else who's faithful and obedient and grew up in the gospel and yet they, they die early and they have a difficult life. Well, what, 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 how do we make sense of that? Well, I think it's important to remember two things. First is that this is giving us the rule. Ordinarily, right, it's like a proverb. You know, the wise man who works hard will prosper. The fool who is lazy will be ruined. We can all find exceptions to those rules, and yet, ordinarily, that's how it works. We all know that. Even in the world, we know that. People who work hard will prosper. Those who are lazy are going to face the consequences of that. But I think there's even more uh, going on here. It's not just that this is generally true, but what God is promising you is not just that you'll live to be really, really old and live to have a lot of money. What He's promising you is that the life you live will be a blessed life. And sometimes a blessed life is a very difficult life. Again, think about Jesus, kids. What was His life like? He grew up in a very poor family. He grew up in a part of the world that people didn't really think much of. They didn't really like. He never had much wealth or much fame. And in the end, He was captured arrested, beaten, and executed. And yet his life was blessed in many ways. And so what we're being promised here is not all the riches in the world, but instead a good life. You can talk to your parents more about what that means. But let me just give you one picture before we turn to talk to the parents. Kids, imagine if I told you every time you obey your parents, it could be a big thing or it could be a small thing, but every time you obey your parents, I'm going to take a dollar and I'm going to put it in the bank. And when you turn 18, I will give you all the money that you've earned. Every time you obey, you get a dollar in the bank. Would that motivate you to obey your parents? Maybe you turn 18 and I say, good job, guess what? You obeyed your parents a million times over the last 18 years. Here's a million dollars. Would that motivate you to obey your parents? <laughs> I think for some of you it would. <laughs> Imagine when you disobey your parents, though, that I would take a dollar away from what you were doing. So maybe you graduate from high school, you're 18 years old, and instead of having a million dollars, maybe you owe a lot of money. <laughs> would that change the way you obey? I think it probably would. Well, God is promising you not that you're storing away money, but that you're storing away blessing. 
And the reason for that is this. Your parents' goal, it may not always seem like this, but their goal is not to just get work out of you or to make your life miserable. Their goal is to help you be healthy, happy, and holy human beings. That's their, their deepest desire as parents. And so when they tell you to do something, they're trying to help you be healthy, happy, and holy. And as you obey, they're actually pouring out blessings on you. And sometimes you won't see the fruit of that. It's like having a million dollars in the bank. You don't have it right now. But when you come to be an adult, and you've obeyed your parents, and you've honored your parents, and you've listened to what they've said, God is actually pouring out blessings on you um, through that obedience and through that training. So those are some things to think about, kids. I invite you to talk to your parents about this over lunch. Find out ways that you're doing well in obeying and maybe ways that you're not doing well. Um, this is something that all of us can grow in. But now what about the parents? Let's move up to the top floor. What are parents called to do? Well, we have just one verse addressed to the parents, but it is packed full of helpful instruction. We read this word in verse uh, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I want to point out a, a couple of things. The first is, notice who Paul is speaking to now. In verse 1, he's talking about parents. That's the word that's used. That's the mother and the father, parents. And then in verse 2, he says, honor your father, honor your mother. Now, in verse 4, he says, fathers. Now, what does that mean? Well, moms, I'm afraid you can't say, oh, good, I don't have to nurture and cherish and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the dad's job. I can go on vacation. No, mothers are very much involved in this work. In fact, both in Paul's day and in our own day, we know that if, if you added up the, the number of hours spent, right, uh, walking with children and discipling them and training them and teaching them, probably mothers are going to have more time in the average day in the average household than the father will. Um, so mothers are very much involved here. And yet Paul wants to make a point. He wants us to see that while the mothers are very much going to be involved, ultimately it's the fathers who are responsible. I think he wants us as fathers to feel the force of that. You are responsible for your children. You are responsible for your household. You're responsible not just to make sure that there's a roof over their heads and shoes on their feet, Lots of times we reduce our role to that. I, I work hard. I pay the bills. My wife kind of takes care of the rest. Maybe I step in for discipline every now and again, but that's kind of my work. But when Paul comes to talk to parents, he says, fathers, knowing that mothers are included, but fathers, we have responsibility for this. I think he also addresses us, because if you're anything like me, um, probably you are more prone to provoke your children to anger even than your wife is and maybe less prone to nurture them, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord than your wife is. God has given uh, mothers a wonderful nurturing ability and instinct and that can be harder for us as husbands and as fathers to, to do but we must pursue this goal. So what is it that Paul calls us as fathers and as parents to do. Well, he actually gives two commands. The first is a negative command, don't do something, and then a positive command, do this instead. And we're told, do not provoke your children 
to anger. This is very similar language to what Paul uses in the, the parallel passage in Colossians. And basically what he's telling us is don't exasperate your children. Don't, don't frustrate your children. Don't, don't tempt them to anger. We've just seen, right, that a child's basic calling as they're growing up is to obey their parents, to honor their parents. Are we making that easy for our kids to do or hard for our kids to do? And I think as fathers in particular, we can be um, in all sorts of ways tempting our children, provoking them to anger. It could happen by smothering them with too many rules, too many directions, too many corrections, not being gentle and tender with them. It could happen by ignoring them, giving no guidance, no direction, just earning the paycheck and then we come home and we watch TV or we tinker in the garage but we spend no time with our kids. We don't pour out affection on them. They don't hear us say those words, I love you, very often. It could be by even belittling them. And maybe some of you have had fathers who have fallen into this. Fathers who make fun of their kids or, or always shoot down the idea or always squash the dream and um, agents of, of doom and gloom and kids just don't want to be around their dad because it's difficult. It's depressing. Um, we all are guilty of this in one form or another, some in very severe forms and some in, in less. But I think we need to realize what we're doing when we treat our kids that way. Some of the most horrible stories we can hear is when we read about a parent who's hurt their own child. It's unnatural and evil. If we were to read a news story about a father who had poisoned his family's food at the dinner table, they would say, oh, that's, I can't believe that. How could a father do that to his family? But brothers and, and sisters, fathers and mothers, how often are we poisoning our kids' food by our words? by what we do, what we don't do, what we say, what we don't say, the example that we set, we can be poisoning our own children through these sins. It makes a difference for fathers in particular, right? If you look at um, what's the single biggest predictor of either success or failure, just from a worldly perspective, I'm not even talking spiritually, is there a father present in the home is the number one thing. Fathers, we have a great responsibility, a great privilege. Let's use that power, that position wisely and well. And that's why Paul spends the bulk of his time telling us what we should do, what we have the opportunity to do. Because just as our words and our actions can tear down, so they can also build up. And that's what Paul wants to really draw our attention to when he says, bring them up, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now that word, to, to bring them up, is actually the same word that's used in chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 29, where Paul says, uh, no one ever hated his own flesh. He's talking to husbands here now. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. And that word nourish is the same word that's used here for bringing up your children. So you see what Paul's saying. He's saying, husbands, the way that you were supposed to nourish your wife is how you're to treat your children. The same way that Christ nourishes the church, brings up the church, is how you are to nourish and bring up your own children in the faith, in the Lord. Notice that when Paul speaks to the children, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. 
When he speaks to parents of children, what does he say? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Lord is at the center, the heart of this healthy home. And Paul uses two words here, what we are to bring them up in, to, to nourish them in. He says we are to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord and in the instruction of the Lord. And as we carry out those commands, what, what we're doing, I think maybe a good picture of this is, is it's like planting and nursing a seed. Right? Have you seen someone plant a tree or a bush and they, they prune it and they, they fertilize it and they water it and they protect it and they, they cover it when the frost comes and they try to guide its growth and development? That tree is a living thing, sometimes with a mind of its own, and yet the person who's caring for it is trying to bring it up in a way that it can be healthy and beautiful and strong and bear fruit. And parents, that's what we are called to do with our kids, to nurse them. Isn't that interesting that even in the English language, a nursery is either talking about a place where you care for children or a place where you care for, for plants. Because there's some similarities there, isn't there? We're called to be um, nursery workers in both senses of that term, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And here's part of the paradoxical task that we have as parents. When our kids are born, they are completely dependent on us. I have a five-month-old back there who's very sweet, and we love her very much, but she is completely dependent on us. She just learned to roll over. That's her big accomplishment in life. She can roll from her back to her stomach and her stomach to her back. But she can't feed herself. She can't dress herself. She can't change herself. She can't walk. She can't talk. She can't reason. If we were not to care for her, she would die. She's that dependent on us. And yet, as parents, we have to take them from that place of complete dependence on us and help our kids grow and mature and be brought up to be less dependent on us. We're not ultimately pushing them towards independence. We're actually pushing them towards greater dependence, but we're trying to help them shift their dependence from being completely dependent on us to being completely dependent on Christ. And that's very difficult. You know, sometimes when we do the helicopter parenting thing, the smothering thing, what that shows is that we think our job is to keep our kids dependent on us completely. And sometimes when we ignore and we don't guide and we don't shepherd and we don't correct and admonish, it shows that we think our task is just to help our kids be independent. Neither of those are true. Our job is to help transfer dependence. We are like the, the pot that that tree is planted in. But you keep that tree in that plot and the tree will die. The only way it will have health is that when it gets to a certain point, you transplant it to a place where it can really grow. And that's to be rooted not in us or our direction or our guidance or our counsel or our advice, but in Christ. That's our task. How do we do that? That's a big job. There's a lot we could say, but let me just comment on these two words discipline and instruction. I actually like the way that the King James renders this a bit better. It, it says that we are to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That first word, discipline or, or nurture, is a, is a really important word. Uh, I, I don't want to be that seminary student who's pretending that he knows all the Greek. I don't. Um, but reading people who do know the Greek, uh, this is the word paideia. And if you've studied education or um, classical education or anything, that's probably a word you've come across because it's a very important word for the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, it talks not just about discipline in the sense of 
correction, spanking, timeouts, that kind of thing. It's not that kind of word. Nor is it just talking about education in the sense of teaching your kids how to add and read and write. What it has in view is the, the formation of people. Education in the ancient world, for, for free people in particular, was, was not so much training you to do something, it was training you to be something. That's the word that's being used here. So this word discipline is talking about how you train your children, how you, how you form your children. If you have a Reformation study Bible, there's a helpful note there. It says that this word is about shaping the will through training. That's what we're called to do as parents. Are you helping your child to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? Not just in your words, what you give lip service to, but, but in the way you live your life. If someone were to, to walk into your life and observe your family for a month, would they walk away saying, that family's not perfect? But I'll tell you what, their focus is on Christ and the kingdom. That is a family of people, parents and children, whose goal is to honor God and to become more like God. Could that be said of us if a stranger were to live in our home for a month? If they were to look at the, the schedule that we keep, the activities that we pursue, do they see church as a priority? Or would they say, well, you know, that, that family, you know, it's obviously Christian, but, you know, they're kind of in and out of church a couple times a month, don't really have fellowship with other believers, I didn't see them reading the Word privately or reading the Word together. There weren't really conversations about God and the Gospel, about holiness. Um, it seems like uh, Christianity is kind of a, a cultural thing in the background, but not the heartbeat of their home. I, I, I fear many of our homes would get that kind of verdict and not, not the other. But we're called in how we structure their life, the priorities and the time, the money, the talent, the conversations, all of these things are to be built around this goal of discipline in the Lord, training and forming their wills. And married with that is this second word, bringing them up not just in the discipline of the Lord, but in the instruction of the Lord or the admonition of the Lord. If discipline has to do with training and formation, instruction here has to do with teaching and information. It's not enough just to kind of set a good example. Kids need to be taught. They need to be told. Things need to be explained and unpacked. We have a good example in the way that God dealt with his instructions to children, right? He told them clearly what they are to do, obey and honor, but he also helps them understand why, what this is for. Do we do that in our instructions? Or is every instruction just a barked command laden with frustration and anger? Let's instruct our kids. And that happens in many, many ways. It happens <coughs> formally as you bring your family to church week after week, as you bring them into fellowship with God's people, as you open up uh, your word together as a family as they get up in the morning and see mom or dad sitting on the couch reading their Bible, praying, meditating, memorizing these things. It happens when you don't just watch a movie, but you discuss that. What's biblical here? What's unbiblical here? What's healthy? What's not? Help your kids. Train them. Instruct them in the Lord. And as you do that, you're helping them to grow. And you're helping them again to become less dependent on you, more dependent on Christ. There's so much more we could say about this, but let me just encourage you to, 
pop into the other room after the service. There's a, a number of really good books, DVDs, resources on, on parenting, on family worship, lots of things that you can use. Seek out a family who's a, a couple years ahead of you or maybe a couple decades ahead of you and say, tell me what you did wrong, tell me what you did right, how can I learn? Let's help each other in this. And I think that becomes, the importance of that becomes even more clear as we take a step outside the home now. Let me just close with this picture for you. We've seen the inside of our home tour, right? What a healthy home looks like. The ground floor with the children being those under authority. The top floor with the parents being those over authority. All working with the aim and the goal of glorifying God and imitating God, right? That's what all of this falls under, that command in chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the command for all of us today. But let's think a bit about where this home is located. If, if what we just did is kind of when you get on Zillow and you pop through the pictures to kind of see how the house is laid out, now we're looking at uh, Google Maps to see where this home is located and why it's there. And let me specifically speak to those who are maybe not part of a home that looks like this. Maybe you're an empty nester. Maybe you're newly married but no kids. Maybe you're single not married at all, don't know if you'll ever have kids. Is this all just something for somebody else? No. Brothers, sisters, listen. Because this is something that affects and concerns all of us as part of the church. Because the healthy home it does not exist for itself. It doesn't exist just to have well-behaved children or happy parents. The healthy home is actually part of God's plan to establish the kingdom of God in this world and tear down the kingdoms and stronghold of Satan. Now, if that sounds a bit charismatic, don't be alarmed. I'm just drawing from the passage that is coming right after this where we see Paul talking about spiritual warfare, of all things. Now, some commentators have been a bit perplexed by this. You know, you read the book of Ephesians, as you guys have been doing for months now, walk, working through this series, and you have these opening chapters that have so much rich theology, talking about who Christ is and what he's done and who we are in him, and just all this amazing stuff. And then verses, or chapters 4 and 5 and the first part of 6 are very practical. He talks about the church and he talks about... Um, the marriage and the home and all of these things. And we like that. We like practical direction. And then he jumps to this weird section about armor of God and spiritual warfare, and it just seems kind of tacked on and don't quite know what to do with it. But if that's the attitude we have of Ephesians, we're actually missing the point. Because Ephesians is, is building up to a battle. That's the point. Uh, and, and, and the book is, is being laid out in a way that moves us into that battle. So those opening chapters are establishing the foundation, the theology of who we are because of what Christ has done. And here's what's amazing. Uh, what, we're, what we're told that we are now part of in chapter 2 is that because we are in Christ, we are part of the household of God, he says. So just like when we looked at marriage and we saw how marriage is important on its own, but its greatest importance comes from this. It's a picture of Christ and the church. That's true here too. Children and parents, their relationship with each other is important. But its greatest importance comes from this. It's a picture of Christ in the church. A healthy home is a place of piety. Uh, Luther loved to call the Christian home a little church. And what, what happens in the home affects the church. And that's why you as a single person 
to be seeking to encourage and, and help and come alongside uh, those who have kids because they're not just somebody else's kids. Actually worked into the way we do church is this idea that we are committed and bound one to another. When someone becomes a member, they don't just make vows to the church. We vow to support them as well. When someone is, is brought for, for baptism, we vow to help those parents, train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A healthy home is more than just a place for kids to grow up or a place for, for parents to pursue their dreams of having a family. A healthy home is where Christ perfects His people, where He brings them up, where He trains them. It's a little church, and it's an outpost of the kingdom of God. It's not just a place of piety, it's a place of war. And all of us are involved in that, because whether you have kids or not, whether your kids are grown or not, all of us are part of a family and a household, of which these households and families are a mere mirror. So I pray that Kirk of the Plains would be a place where healthy households, healthy families can flourish and can grow, where single people and empty nesters can come alongside those with kids and sit with them and disciple them and encourage them and, and shepherd them, but also where all of us, whether we have kids at home or not, find ourselves in a family here. We're about to come to the family table. It's almost dinner time here as we have the Lord's Supper as Christ himself lays out a meal for us to feed us, to nourish us, to bring us up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. There's so much here that we could talk about, but I hope you see uh, the priority that, that Paul places on these things and the gr glorious ways in which God will build up his church as we seek to be faithful. Kids, as you seek to obey your parents, as you seek to honor them. Parents, as you seek to bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Let's take some, a few moments to meditate in silence on the word of Christ to us. <laughs>